Hello, and welcome to The Mummer's Farce, a podcast about the visual production of HBO's Game of Thrones. I'm Kate Barry. I'm Dan Solberg. And today we'll be talking about Season 1, Episodes 5 and 6. Episode 5 is called The Wolf and the Lion is and is directed by Brian Kirk, whom we spoke about last week. Mm-hmm. Dan, would you like to do the recap for this one? Sure. So for Episode 5, and we're going to try to do this a little bit faster than we've done last week. Last week was a, was a big one. Yeah. Big episode. Um, so... Let's let's jump right in. First of all, this is a super Ned heavy episode, so mainly we're going to concentrate on, on him during it. But so, what does he do? First of all, he's investigating what's going on with John Aaron's murder, um, with Sir Hugh also getting uh, getting killed last time. Um, at the end of that episode, he ends up quitting his job as Hand of the King because Robert wants to kill Daenerys and uh, unborn child Rago. And then at the end of the episode, uh, because Catelyn has kidnapped Tyrion, and that word gets out, he ends up uh, getting in a fight with Jaime and gets uh, a spear through the, the back of the knee. So he's uh, ending that episode in a bad way. Uh, Robert uh, yells at a lot of people. <laughs> um, uh, Tyrion and Cat are uh, headed towards the Vale, even though she said she was taking them to Winterfell. Um, they get attacked on the road by some hill tribes. And uh, then Tyrion ends up getting thrown in a sky cell when they finally get there to the Eyrie. Uh, Littlefinger and Varys, uh, their loyalties end up being kind of under suspicion here, particularly Varys, who Arya overhears in the sort of dungeons below, uh, talking to, um, what's his name, Illyrio. Right. Illyrio Mopatis uh, about conspiring. Uh, Renly gets to have a, a conversation with Loras, where... Uh, they sort of talk about maybe uh, that Renly deserves the throne and uh, how they haven't been in wars and stuff. So they're, they're kind of soft boys. Um, and uh, we don't really have John. We don't have Sansa. We don't have Daenerys. So these are kind of our characters. Um, so that's, that's where we are this episode. Yeah, yeah. The thing that was maybe most striking to me during this episode was that it feels pretty conventional in terms of fantasy mm-hmm. and that we're building up to the moment where um, Game of Thrones uh, Song of Ice and Fire becomes something different where it starts to subvert our expectations but mm-hmm. we're not there yet and so we start with a joust and yeah. and stuff that just feels really I mean interesting in its way because the characters are, are good and because it's beautiful but not because there's anything really unusual going on it sort of could be any fantasy story mm-hmm. um or anything that's set in a in a sort of medieval world um yeah it feels almost like it's a different show than what would it, what it will become yes it's it feels very i don't know if this is just in retrospect a very first season-y mm-hmm. um there's a ton of foreshadowing it's like yeah. loaded with foreshadowing that almost seems like that is what the episode is it's like here's the scene that Maybe not much happens in, but is going to like lead you down the road to, to something either happening next episode or much further down the line. Right. Um, and very conversation heavy. Um, we had the last couple episodes that were directed by Brian Kirk were also relatively conversation heavy, like a lot of kind of palace intrigue. Let's meet the, the small council and all this stuff. Um, but we also had that balance between what's going on with John at the wall, uh, what's happening with Daenerys, and we sort of... We're jumping around a lot more. Uh, this episode in particular, with its centering on on Ned and with the things going on in King's Landing, um, with only like one departure kind of going back to Catelyn and Tyrion mm-hmm. in the Vale. Granted, there is a battle, but you know it's it's kind of over quickly yeah, enough. Yeah. And it's still a, 
in the sort of center of King's Landing, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. Yeah. So, so it's it's just very uh, very stationary feeling episode, and yeah. a lot of the a lot of the scenery here is very relatively stationary. Here are people standing, sitting in chairs, mm-hmm. talking. You know, maybe conniving. It's not like there's not any interesting things going yeah. on, but still. And um, so not only do we have the battle at the end between uh, Jamie and Ned and, and the Lannister guards, but we also start with the joust between Sir Loras, whom mm-hmm. we meet for the first time, and the Mountain, right. who we see for the second time. Um, and there's two things that really caught my eye about this one, which is one, Loras's very ornate armor and mm-hmm. helmet. It's something pretty extraordinary. Um, I watched the little extra and they talked about the time that it took to to cart like to form the flowers so he's nine flowers right and so he's just got this beautiful viney and, mm-hmm. and floral suit of armor um but then we also get uh the hound protecting sir loris from the mountain right and it reminded me that in this most recent season that people were really excited for this idea of clegane bowl right and i i sort of shout out to like, all shift decks right <laughs> but um i was like we've almost We've at least had a little bit. Like, they have already fought each other. Um, and so that was a an interesting thing that I hadn't remembered that we'd already seen Hound fight the mountain. Yeah, very briefly. It's uh, it's over very quickly. I, and I, uh, I like the way that one ends. I don't even know if it's necessarily uh, canon with the book. I can't recall exactly. I think it, it's a little bit different. But in the show, maybe one of the, the only kind of, like, dramatic sort of uh, action-y uh, shots really going on this episode is sort of the king, uh, King Robert, telling everybody to stop, and then the hound going to go in for this massive swing, or sorry, the, the mountain going in for this massive swing, and the hound sort of goes to one knee to bend the knee, which seems very uncharacteristic for the hound in some ways, but also, yeah. I guess, the loyal dog, right? So, right, right. there you go. And we, we don't see nearly as much of the hound in this season as we will in the next, and that maybe he was not quite as bad under Robert as he will mm-hmm. the things that he does for Joffrey are worse because Joffrey, for as bad of Rob, a king as Robert is, Joffrey is worse. True, true. Robert's uh, at the very least often apathetic as yeah. long as things don't get in the way of his drinking and stuff. And, I mean, likes to kill things, but is not as cruel and sadistic right. as right as Joffrey. He usually makes his way to killing, you know, like hunting game and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah, so... The uh, starting at the lists actually in this episode with uh, before we they sort of regroup and they get ready to go with the mountain and Loras. Um, we've got Ned investigating Sir Hugh, and really this is this was uh, basically the opening shot and I think a first instance of our our foreshadowing to come. And again, there's there's so many kind of just like loaded symbols. I guess you can you can read into a lot of things in Game of Thrones, but. Um, we start out with this shot of sort of like panning over the lists and we start out on this big wooden sculpture of this crown stag and it's got its kind of mouth open and I don't know to me this looks like it's in pain no it looks like a dying stag and you know I think we had uh, back in Winterfell we had the the stag that killed the actual dire wolf and we saw that kind of destruction there that being like oh actually the because of these kind of stags, the wolves are going to die, mm-hmm. and now it feels like okay. Well, it's time time is ticking here for uh, for perhaps King Robert because mm-hmm. this is this dying looking stag. And um, in his tent, when when he and Ned are speaking, there are also a lot of of um, I assume stag. They might be elk mm-hmm. antlers. Who knows? But yeah, so I think he is being heavily identified with it. That he has antlers all over his armor that mm-hmm. he can't wear because he's too fat. Right. And so if you didn't know that that was his 
sigil that he's also being um, visually reinforced that like this mm-hmm. is the stag, this is the stag, and we're seeing some like um, unhappy stags and other in yeah. other shots. And then going along with that that scene you were talking about, where he's uh, he's you know he can't fit his armor on him, or Lancel can't fit it on him. Mm-hmm. Um, one, there's some I don't know. It's a fun scene with the the banter, and they're kind of teasing Lancel, but uh, he can't fit his armor, so he's unarmored, right? He has an exposed stomach. <laughs> he's like, it's just ready for one of these pointy antlers and these pointy boars uh, tusks to sort of like gore him, yeah. and so he's. He's. Uh, I have a shot of him with sort of his hands at his side, like sort of uh, saying, like, isn't what a sight for the people, you know, making fun of himself. But, like, he is very exposed, and uh, he's kind of leaving himself out there, and is, he's letting his own kind of uh, debauchery sort of let him be exposed. Yeah, he's got his soft tummy for everyone to just, like, do you want mm-hmm. to rip open? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I have from the list is actually a, a fashion, another fashion item. Um, I was surprised when we saw had seen Littlefinger up to this point that he was dressed in what felt like kind of rougher fabrics. Hmm. I always thought of him as being a little bit more suave and thinking about his like you know evil mustache and little <laughs> beard and stuff and um, his kind of like uh, his gray. Uh, what do you call it when you've got the little bit of gray? Salt and pepper. Yeah, it's kind of salt and pepper yeah. uh, going on on, on his uh, side of his temples. temples yeah. And uh, in this episode, when we see him in the list doing this kind of a bet against Renly, he's finally got like a little bit more of the 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 slick look that we're used to. He's got this really kind of dark. I don't know if this is technically a doublet because it, it's such a long uh, mm. garment, um, but it's got his little. Uh, Mockingbird pin, but it's got this kind of slightly lighter gray sort of patterning of this kind of floral pattern. It almost looks a little bit uh, um, wallpapery or <laughs> uh, uh, fancy couch pattern or something like that. Yeah. Um, very kind of baroque looking. Um, but it's like okay, finally he's he feels like he's dressed the part now, whereas the other ones feel a little I don't know a little rougher as far as uh, the fabrics and things. Like, oh, doesn't Littlefinger like to be comfortable? I don't know. Well, and I don't mean to keep jumping ahead. I feel like I'm going to be jumping around today. But um, when uh, Ned does go see him in the brothel, Mm -hmm. um, and where he's wearing, I think, like a sort of an open-chested, very Mm. soft-looking robe. So he's certainly comfortable, and he dresses very differently in his brothel than he does out in the world. So, yes, I think this idea that he's... Um, comfortable and maybe a little slimy uh, is really <laughs> becoming obvious. Right. And, uh, you know, these are also like, especially this, this outfit we see him in when he's placed in the bed, it's, it's very dark colors and it's very like, he's starting to look maybe a little bit more suspicious mm-hmm. um, and less friendly to, to Ned and the rest of the Starks. Um, also, when we have that conversation with, this is sort of an adaptation note, we have that conversation with Ned and Robert in the tent about he can't put on the armor. Robert was wanting to go joust, notably in the books. Robert's not a jouster. In fact, I just read this passage from uh, uh, Feast for Crows where Cersei slips up and uh, is in a conversation with some folks uh, talking about a joust, and they're trying to find a, a new uh, master at arms for Tommen at the time. And uh, he he makes this she makes this statement about uh, about how uh, you know. Robert was a jouster or whatever, and or his father was a jouster, 
and everybody's like, I didn't know Robert liked Joust, and it's, she's talking about Jamie, who was very good at it, and Robert is more of a, a melee guy. Right. He likes to beat people with his hammer, more yeah. or less. Um, so they're kind of condensing their uh, their Ren Fair activities here into <laughs> being like, no, nah, they just joust. And uh, yeah. And they mentioned the melee, but I wonder that would have been complicated to choreograph and probably very expensive. Mm-hmm. And it, although they, we really miss seeing Thoris of Mir have a have a flaming sword, right. and that's that's something in the books. But um, yeah, I'm sure that would have been more difficult to shot to shoot than the joust. Right, and I suppose it makes a little bit more sense. Like it seems a little bit more preposterous with Robert, this big guy with huge armor, to like get on a horse and do a joust mm-hmm. as opposed to you know swing a big hammer around in a in a melee. Maybe that seems a little bit more doable, and joust feels a little bit more like. Of that he wouldn't do that. Like he, that seems ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So I think after that we first see Cat uh, and Tyrion in the Eyrie, yes. and they get attacked. Right in the in the by the hill tribes here, and the shot that I found interesting here is where they're just having this conversation between Tyrion and Catelyn. Uh, all these kind of accusations flying around. Um, there's the realization about, hey, we're heading to the Eyrie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, they did keep the Lannister guards there. There's a couple, like, red-caped uh, guards. They're only shown, like, in the background with their backs facing away. So it's kind of unclear, like, are they tied up? Are they also trying to just help protect Tyrion, even as a prisoner here? It's a little unclear. Yeah. Um, but they, they make them visible enough to be like, okay, there's still some red-cloaked guys over there um, in the background. But they're not very helpful. They don't do anything. I I assume they just get killed. There are, those Lannister guards are with them in the books as well, and I think they both just get killed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Catelyn makes a good decision for once and unties Mm -hmm. Tyrion so that he's able to protect her, and he kills his first person using a the bottom of a shield. Right. Um, And you do see... uh, both in their conversation here and then when she actually gets um, into her sister's throne room, that she's starting she's starting to realize that she's made a poor decision that seems mm-hmm. less and less likely that Tyrion had anything to do with what she's accusing him of. But. Right. You know, she has some cunning. I mean, it's it's definitely smart to make everybody think that they were going to Winterfell and then direct them this way. Like she's got these kind of she's got a cleverness to her to her kind of tactics. It's just the big picture. <laughs> Right. Who are you trusting here sort of thing um, that, uh, you know, is her real slow realization over the course of these two episodes be like, Lysa's uh, doesn't really have it all together here. No. Maybe this was a huge mistake <laughs> for a number of reasons. Uh, not only might I have been wrong about Tyrion this whole time, but uh, I was definitely wrong to, to trust my sister. Right. Right. And of course, wrong about it everything about Lysa because everything that Lysa's putting on is pretty much a lie. Right. I was interested, especially as, as sort of who, uh, who comes from what house and the, with, with bastards and, and secret parentage that mm-hmm. um, Lysa in, in episode five and six is wearing the Tully fish, which makes sense. She's a Tully, mm-hmm. but she's not wearing anything that of John Aaron's. Right. right. So I think that's starting to signal that she doesn't really miss her husband as much as she might be pretending or yeah. being, she's not distraught over his death mm-hmm. that she's wearing the telly fish but nothing from her husband's house and they talk a lot more about that kind of stuff in the books you know we as far as the marriage with john aaron and all the arrangements and all that kind of stuff and how um you know how rough of a marriage that actually ended up being 
in the show it's a little bit more we get a line like in a much later season right before kind of Lysa gets it about like oh I, they made me marry that old man and all this kind of stuff right um, and that's kind of just the big reveal it's kind of really all we get um the books have Catelyn telling a lot more of those kind of uh older stories and things like that of how things came to be um well while we're talking about the eerie like i did take a shot of um the interior of the the main hall in the eerie mm-hmm. which is a set that they built really grand gigantic set uh super high ceilings uh lights kind of sort of streaming in uh the spiral staircase going around it's incredibly elaborate and it's all mosaic right it seems um, yes well it, yes because the the entire archway wall behind the the throne as it were the weirwood throne which I watched one of the uh, making of things. Apparently, it's like actual wood. It's like three different big giant pieces of wood that wow. they combine together, and it's super heavy. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all painted, and it's kind of similar style to uh, the way they had uh, Picel's chambers all kind of painted up in the background too, mm-hmm. which I believe that was painted for the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, and it's just very dramatic, and everything about the eerie just feels very one high up they often have sounds of wind kind of blowing through in in those scenes everything echoes tremendously off the walls which is kind of both to be like high up and high in the sky sort of thing but also to be like very empty like lice is there robert's there a few nights Mm -hmm. but for the most part it's like totally totally absent to people um and it, it makes the eerie feel like the you know the nights of the of the veil it's always kind of like well where are they like they're 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 not here in the eerie and who do they actually care about lysa and robin at all right they also and i'm i'm probably uh transferring some of the information from the books onto the show Mm -hmm. but that the people of the veil are sort of snooty right and Mm -hmm. so that they see and their their costumes they're they're more modest they and so uh liza's uh if if her um, breastfeeding an eight year old wasn't already weird enough, that mm-hmm. having an exposed breast in the throne room when you have um, pretty much uh, very buttoned up proper people who think they're better than everyone mm-hmm. else um, is it's particularly jarring. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like I've got some things to say about some of the the armor, but we'll save that for the for the next episode because they've um, we see a few more knights mm-hmm. in the in the second episode um, that we're going to be talking about here today. Um, another sort of fun exchange. There's some, there's some very like body transitional humor here. <laughs> um, when we go from uh, this conversation back in Winterfell, we do do a check in here because we haven't seen Bran, um, Bran for a while, and it's he and Maester Lewin kind of talking about all the different houses and what their um, their words are. And particularly, we get a little bit more, again, about the Greyjoys while, while Theon is, is shooting arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this real kind of just visual repetition. And he even says, he, like, he turns and says, like, what the, the Greyjoys are known for, one of those things being archery. And he's hitting all these bullseyes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we hear about Lannister always pays his debts. Like, is that the freight? No, mm-hmm. that's not actually their words. Um, and then later, we're going to hear Tyrion give that same sort of plea to to mord the the jailer uh says like hey do you know this phrase and turns out yes you do because it's the common phrase just like just like Lewin told us it was and this is where i feel a little bit bad for brian kirk because i'm sure that this was something that was supposed to be 
in the show to mm-hmm. help the viewer, especially new viewers. But it does feel a little obvious and on the nose to have uh, Maester Lewin have Bran, you know, point at a place on the map. Who mm-hmm. lives there? Yeah. What's their What's their symbol? What's their words? What are they known for? Yeah. Right. But um, it felt. I guess it was showing as well as telling, but it didn't. Um, it it didn't do anything to the story except just remind people mm-hmm. like who the characters are and what their yeah. houses. At the very least, I liked that uh, when Lewin gets frustrated with Bran, it's sort of like, come on, you know this. Like, it's your mother's house, all that kind of stuff. Like, he, he at least feels like he's a little bit, like, actually in character there and is saying, like, hey, you're supposed to know this. Like, we're not, I'm not obviously you should know this, right? Right, right? Not just for the audience to be like, hey, just so you know, here's what house Tully's words are. Yeah. Um, but, family, uh, duty, honor. He's so <laughs> upset that she hasn't put family first. But yeah, we've got we've got these trio of, of transitions here, where with, uh, revolving around Theon and genitalia, mm-hmm. uh, where we've got striking bullseye, cut to him having sex with Roz, um, and then again more sort of of Theon essentially being belittled um, and making his station at. Winterfell known mm-hmm. he's basically a prisoner there uh and then at the end of that exchange Roz is basically like uh Theon says like I want I don't want to pay for our our session our time together and she's basically saying like you're not going to get this for free yeah. and what are we talking about you're not going to get this for free cut to cat running around in right. King's Landing <laughs> What do you think um, of the Roz character? She's someone who's not in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? Uh, I mean, we'll see. It, she she serves as sort of a good focal point moving from Winterfell to King's Landing, right? Mm-hmm. She moves uh, sort of along with the action. Um, but what do you what do you think of what she adds to the story? Well, we I feel like we get a lot of characters who are the lords, right? And she's really one of the only characters who's not playing the game, who's mm-hmm. not a lord, or even unwill- unwittingly so. Um, so I think she she provides a really interesting perspective, um, and it's a perspective that I don't know that I would want just to have characters who like aren't the players. Um, I like what what interests me in the show is seeing the big chess game being played, mm-hmm. but that we could bounce around and see some of the the non-players um and how they intersect perhaps sometimes with with the lords and with the the kings and knights and everything like that um it kind of puts that those characters perspectives in check uh and what's the importance of everything that they do Hmm. compared to Roz just kind of being always on the outskirts of whatever city we're we're in and what um you know what are people doing in the shadows and all this kind of stuff Yeah. yeah i think that's right I think that's right. So then the the sort of analogous scene, we get another sort of sexy scene, but mm-hmm. this time it's between uh Renly and oh, yeah. and Loris. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it was it was um it was the visuals that I liked the most. Uh so Loris is shaving Renly's chest and also really distractingly for me, mm-hmm. only one armpit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the he's asymmetry. Got, <laughs> he's only had he has one hairy armpit, one shaved armpit. Mm-hmm. But there is a great scene where um, he missed a few spots, also just in general. <laughs> but that that Renly has one arm up and Loris is 
pretty carefully shaving his his, his armpit. And then mm-hmm. um, there's something that was sort of a nice vulnerability between the two. Although um, Loras is is giving really horrible advice, right? That that Renly trying to become king will will kill him. Yeah. Um, and it will also turn out poorly for Renly. Um, or excuse me for Loras, but um, yeah, I thought that there was something very uh, sweet about that, and that some of the other sex scenes not they f- they feel like they're there for the sort of the HBO mm-hmm. uh, just the HBO flavor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that this one served some other purpose. Yeah. But also, I will say, wasn't um, the same sort of sex scene as between sure. Theon, Theon and Roz. Well, also the hand raised, you know, parallels him raising the hound's hand really at the end of the battle, sort of claiming the victor, and here we go again. Except it's you know it's to shave his armpit, but still like let me raise up raise up your hand to sort of be my champion because it, it's going along with a conversation saying like hey you need to be the one actually running things right. I, I'm, I'm choosing you uh, it is Loras sort of like making that call mm-hmm. um, also they're talking about how they haven't been to wars and they're both relatively skinny boys mm-hmm. um, you know uh, Renly perhaps you could imagine him getting getting away with that a little more so though in the books you know Renly sort of built up as this this uh the image of like young Robert, um, right? Sort of like this very tough, like hammer wielding uh, individual, and so he doesn't necessarily have that feel about him. He's a little bit more little fingery uh, in terms of the way that he kind of carries himself. Um, and Loras, being like the knight of flowers and all this stuff, he he really feels like his money, his kind of tricks, his sort of uh, maybe quickness and stuff is really what what kind of keeps him going because it's certainly not his his strength he doesn't look that strong right. they chose a, a very slightly built uh mm-hmm. actor to play laura so. i feel like he builds himself up later though i think yeah. in later seasons he's he's uh got a little bit more mass yeah. going for him yeah um and you know that scene again like a lot of the scenes in king's landing had just have this like sun drenched feel to them with light coming in and uh you know i think it it lends its its an, an air of like intimacy and uh, sort of a rom- romantic atmosphere to to the proceedings as well to have that kind of uh, set design going on. Yeah, and I thought the best shot scene was the one that followed that was the conversation between Cersei and Robert, just mm. sort of commiserating about how they've not really liked each other for seventeen years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it speaking of of sort of intimacy, that there's something about that that feels very. Um, we see something in them that I don't even think we ever see in the books and we don't see again in the show, but an actual understanding and maybe even a kind of affection if only it's for like five minutes. Um, So I thought, I thought that was well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Cersei in that scene starts really from, from mine. She had it a little bit at the, uh, when she was briefly at the jousting tournament, um, starts really getting her eyebrows going to a certain degree. And in this whole conversation, she's, more or less furrowed <laughs> and uh starts to be you know just very very pronounced sort of distaste for everything going on around her and her her eyebrows communicate that <laughs> at every turn uh her mouth as well sort of un- unturned mouth uh, upturned mouth um and yeah and that scene also like i took a screenshot of when cersei leaves but it's also would have fit when she's sort of sitting in the chair um and uh it's it's Robert at the desk, which is the desk where we've seen a couple conversations with him at this point. Um, between Barristan and Jamie is the other one that I can think of mm-hmm. uh, earlier. And it's this very kind of simple chamber. But the, when Cersei leaves, there's a brief moment where 
You've got these long cast shadows coming out from the window behind him. Um, so the desk and everything sort of like casting forward onto this empty chair and these big archways, this big sort of empty emptiness here. It feels very lonely. Um, and he's, you know, pouring wine. He's at a desk, you know, pouring wine. He's not necessarily conducting business in the same way that you no. might think someone would do. In his... No, his business is drinking. Yeah. Yeah, business is good for, for Robert, <laughs> as for all things considered. Um, so that's a, yeah, I, I kind of like the way that one looked. Um, and we do have a few other sets around King's Landing. We have a lot of meetings going on actually across these episodes with uh, Ned in his, his, his chambers, mm-hmm. uh, not his uh, bed chambers, his uh, office, more or less, the Tower of the Hand, as it were. Um, and we have shots here of Varys coming in, and we're sort of outside of the room uh, with the door open, just kind of cracked open. Varys kind of walking around. We see Ned sitting at his desk, stairways coming down. And, you know, this is another one of those scenes where it's kind of like we're looking in. Who else is kind of looking into? Um, soon enough, we actually start to be in the scene, and we can actually see Jory standing outside, mm-hmm. and then Varys closes the door, even on Jory, right? Right. And at this point, we are actually starting to be very suspicious of Varys, um, because we have seen his conversations that Arya has witnessed mm-hmm. down in the dungeons, and it's very unclear what's going on. It seems like he's operating on a top level here. They're talking about the wolf and the lion fighting, things not being the right time. Mm-hmm. We know that there's this connection with Daenerys, with Illyrio. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we know he's up to a scheme. Um, so that he would then close himself in a room with Ned is, it, it's, we're very on edge with Varys this season. He hasn't started to become our kind of like, oh, he's our friendly, you know, Tyrion friend. And uh, he kind of, you know. Looking out for all of our favorite characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it's a kind of a, uh, a bit of a, a tense scene, even though it's, it's just kind of this conversation within there. We, we're, we're set up as sort of uh, outsiders, and we start to see the, uh, the friends of Ned getting closed off mm-hmm. and him getting more and more isolated with the, you know, the, the pit of snakes here. And I guess it's interesting that, that Varys is very intentionally, he's closing the windows, he's closing Jory mm-hmm. out in order to sort of seal it so that no one can spy on them and we find out that that is unsuccessful mm. that even with all that he did that Littlefinger was able to um, discover that they right. had had a meeting and so um, he you know he's, he closes everything but he's still not able to keep the eyes of, of the other people around him mm-hmm. out and so it's illustrative of how many spies there are and yeah. how nothing is secret for very long in King's Landing and that leads us to probably my favorite scene of it uh, of the episode the various Mm-hmm. Littlefinger conversation, first of uh, at least a couple that they end up having. I think I like the the next one a little bit better, but this one still has some good stuff in it. Um, and notably here, as far as uh, shot work go, uh, camera work, um, we open on Littlefinger just lovingly gazing <laughs> at the Iron Throne, and it's sort of like, okay, yeah, he's he's looking at the throne. Like Varys comes across him, and it's like, oh, sorry. Was I staring at the Iron Throne? <laughs> I, don't mind me. Um, and then they have a, 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 some wonderful kind of banter back and forth that, again, is dealing with who's watching who, and they're both sort of touting their prowess in terms of like knowing what's going on mm-hmm. and uh, making fun of one another's backstories and all this kind of and stuff. And Varys is a eunuch. Yeah. And then uh, 
then Renly busts in. It's like, we've got to have a, a small council meeting. And, you know, there's another thing that uh, Varys is not quite up on because he's been talking to Illyrio and is not, isn't quite sure what, what's happening there. Um, and this is one of the maybe the last time we see all this all of this small council gathered together this way with ned certainly with robert involved yeah um and uh unlike that scene we had in when when we met the small council where he sort of like had varies coming up and shaking Ned's hand and he sort of had everybody sort of fulfilling their individual characteristics here in this one robert's sort of in the center everyone else has their chairs turned towards him and Ned almost feels like he's, you know, intruding. So like, we have this conversation going on. We're all in agreement here. You're on the outside of this one, Ned. Um, right. And, and this is um, Ned is the only one who feels that it is inappropriate to kill Daenerys and her mm-hmm. unborn child, while everyone else has decided that it is a necessary evil, right? And to, with greater or lesser relish. Yeah, with each of their own sort of. Mm-hmm. I guess that's where the characteristics come in, right? <laughs> we have Pycelle, who sort of like comes in somewhat practical and various talks about things, you know, the world bleeding, all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, uh, Littlefinger's, of course, the most crass of all and right. has his uh, uh, his illusions. Yes. <laughs> like that. Um, and then Ned, of course, is, the story goes on. That's where he, uh, he, he resigns from his office. And uh, that's the last we see of him until really the the confrontation at the end where he was going to uh, Littlefinger's sort of last appointment mm-hmm. uh, to see another of his bast- Robert's bastard children um, in one of uh, Littlefinger's ple- pleasure houses. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Jamie gets word and there's this big confrontation in they, the yard. They have a rumble. Yep. Um, Jory dies. <laughs> uh, Ned sort of shows himself to be a pretty equal opponent mm-hmm. for Jamie, but then one of the Lannister guards spears him yeah. through the leg. So we never really know who how, would have won. How could that could have gone. Yeah. Um Jamie is really looking as much of like the Jamie of sort of the uh sort of the legend mm-hmm. and the stories here. He's got both of his hands. Um and beautiful hair, interesting jacket. Yeah. It's really the only time we really get to see him fight also yeah um uh, when when he's whole Mm -hmm. right um because he starts to learn a little bit but he never he never is quite like this and so this is kind of the jamie lannister of legend one he looks awesome (laughs) he's got his jacket perfectly sort of done up where it's got the asymmetric thing we talked about last time uh he's got it kind of curled over but this great sort of uh open flap to it um this looks sort of like a tassel uh leather straps that are sort of hanging down on one side and uh, he's got his hair all kind of done up in his, his very kind of princely way. And after the little bit of the battle, he's even got like some blood like uh, very tasteful. On his, yeah, very no. tasteful. So sort of, like just a little bit of blood over here on the arm just to show you like which is my killing arm. Yeah. Um, or which is my, uh, yeah, my, my dagger stabbing arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really looking like Jamie's on top of his game here. Um, and Ned's Ned's in a bad way, you know. Ned's a good warrior, and he's able to fight off a, a number of guards, but uh, ultimately, he's he's too far outnumbered. And Littlefinger's claims of getting the city watch don't come near soon enough. Right. And and the the last scene that we're left with is, well, I mean, I think it is very indicative of his character that 
that Ned is sort of down on one knee. There's something about that that mm-hmm. he can he can take the pain, and that's sort of a, a serving position, right? That he bend, bending the knee becomes mm-hmm. important, right? Um, but then Jamie rides off and flees the city, and then Ned falls over into the yeah. street with a bunch of slain people around him, right? And it is kind of like the way that the fight goes down in the TV show is a little bit more TV-ish mm-hmm. um, than it is in the books. I believe in the books it's just Ned sort of like gets a he's either on his horse and gets knocked off and sort of like that's how he breaks his leg and he's kind of the pain of like that happening gets him sort of clouds his vision of everything else going on um and in this one again we we get this one-on-one battle in a way that's sort of like oh everybody wanted to know like uh, you know this character versus this character who, who would win in a fight and sort of like they they kind of toy with that and then uh you have the Killjoy is really the Lannister guard, un- <laughs> unnamed, sort of unseen. He's got his mask down. Uh, we can't see his face. Who sort of jabs Ned in the in the back of the knee, and even Jamie's like, "What are you doing, man?" Like, yeah, I had this. Yeah. Why did you ruin the fight? Yeah. yeah. And so they kind of like cuts it short, and also you know is total like fan denial, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're not gonna they're not gonna say who would win in a fight. Uh, you have to leave that up to your imagination because. Ned's going to get it. Jamie's going to lose his hand. The fight from then on on can't happen. Anymore. Who would win, so. a dead guy or a guy without a right hand? Right. A guy <laughs> without a sword hand. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's tough to say. <laughs> and then we get a night. Jamie then punches the guard, which is a, a pretty pretty good move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't actually have too much else for this episode. I mean, I've got some other shots of uh, Tyrion in the Sky Cells, but I actually think that some of the shots in the next episode with the Sky Cells are more dramatic and more interesting. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so? So perhaps we move on to there. Yeah. Um, do you want to do a recap for episode six, which is The Golden Crown? I or would a lo- Golden Crown? I would love to. Uh, this was directed by Daniel Minahan. Um, so I'll start in King's Landing. Ned is recovering from his leg wound. Um, he and and Cersei are really at loggerheads because Cersei feels that it is totally inappropriate for Cat to take Tyrion, and also is really upset that because of their fight, Jaime has uh, fleed the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Ned, now that he has been stabbed, feels pretty strongly that the Lannisters owe him mm-hmm. an apology. Um, Rob wants, or uh, excuse me, Robert just wants them to put it to bed because he doesn't like having his wife and his best friend fight. He forces Ned to take the hand of the king position back and then tells him that he's going to go on a hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, Winterfell, uh, Bran is having more Three-Eyed Raven dreams and then he gets his saddle that Tyrion designed and so he's out riding. Theon is trying to convince Rob to go to war mm-hmm. um, for his father's stabbing and then they run into Theon four wildlings wildlings down from um, beyond the wall and uh, they kill three and keep um, Osha although I don't know that we know her name yet Um, Silvio and Arya have another uh, more dancing lessons and we first hear uh, not today to the god of Mm -hmm. death Um, in Essos Daenerys um, is sort of spending more time with her eggs she's figuring out what you know, she's doing this sort of ritualistic heating that we don't know what the point purpose is yet. Mm-hmm. Um, she eats the heart at, in one of the temples in Vastothrak, and um, we find out that her son is going to be Rago, and maybe will be the stall- stallion that mounts the world. Um, her brother Viserys is very jealous and tries to steal the eggs, but is foiled. And um, 
at last there he he threatens Danny and the baby and then he is um, given a golden crown so what he asked for yeah yeah molten gold <laughs> over his head um, we have uh, Tyrion's trial in the Eyrie and he uh, goes free and oh um, the the mountain um, ha- is ra- is rampaging through the riverlands and some uh, Upset villagers come to uh, Ned for justice, and he sends um, Beric Dondarrion after the mountain. And uh, Joffrey is nice for like a second to Sansa, and um, <laughs> then she decides once again to like throw her whole family and safety under the bus so that she can stay with this horrible little twit. Uh-huh. And that's that's it. And not not in the correct order, but I think that's the most important stuff no. that happens. Yeah, I mean, yes, <laughs> I agree. Um, Sounds good. Yeah, so we do open up this one in uh, Ned's bedchamber. We have, you know, I, I one thing probably to note about this is we do have another director here as opposed to, to Brian Kirk, who did the last three. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the change was very noticeable. Maybe it's mainly because I was looking for, see, like, what's the difference here? Yeah. But uh, I definitely noticed uh, some changes and. I think that there are some more dynamic camera angles going on uh, in this episode. There's a lot more in terms of like uh, really emotive establishing shots of things that aren't necessarily just like here's the scene, but kind of like here's the vibe going on yeah. here. Um, yeah. But also I think maybe the story is just starting to get into some new places and maybe uh, really kind of get the get the wheels turning. And so maybe it's a combination of those things. Right. It's hard to tell whether Brian Kirk was sort of at a disadvantage because he just had so much information to convey. Mm-hmm. Or if if maybe Daniel Minahan, who has directed other things for HBO, he has done Deadwood, which is a great show. Mm-hmm. He's done True Blood, which I also enjoy, which I hope you'll still listen to the show, even though you know that. <laughs> um, and, and also, I think, an episode of The Newsroom. Um, yeah. So... He, I, I also think that he's able to do a little bit more with his camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also may be that, that the story is just picking up in a really interesting way. Yeah, so maybe it goes without saying. I think both of us seemed like we liked this one yes. <laughs> better I love this than episode. the one previous one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like this is really where things start to, st- start to get going. So mm-hmm. uh, in a number of ways. So yeah, we open up in Ned's chamber here. And again, what I was talking about with these shots is like we start out with this sort of like vibe of delirium right we're given this kind of uh blurry shot of this curtain that's on on ned's bed and it's sort of like what's going on it slowly comes into focus and then we sort of pan down and and see ned so like we're almost in his start out in his kind of dreams space dream sleep whatever um whatever kind of tone we're going for here and kind of come down and then um i like the shot after when we well we first of all then we see uh, Robert and Cersei come into focus Cersei first of course uh, more terrifyingly so for Ned um, right. and then uh, with uh, Robert and uh, Cersei standing off the side um, are framed with Ned's leg it's like, <laughs> it's like they're having a conversation with his foot yeah yeah <laughs> so I like that um, but then uh, a lot of hand imagery in this one. I mean, I, I, I know hands are going to be a reoccurring thing in general because there's it's so tied into the language of Game of Thrones, the hand of the king and all the hand of the queen and all this kind of stuff. Um, Jamie losing a hand. It's mm-hmm. it's very kind of Star Wars-y in that way. It's like everybody has this weird focus on like amputations and limbs and hands and all this kind of stuff. But and again, we start to have these kind of really uh, matched uh, transitional shots where... 
Ned or sorry, Robert throws the pin back to Ned, tells him to, to put the take the, the office of Hand of the King back. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have Ned sort of like looking at this pin, walking that out, kind of moving that around in his fingers. Uh, cut to Daenerys holding an egg right. in her hands in a scene that then is going to move on to uh, her putting it on that brazier. Mm-hmm. Um, Pick, not picking up and not burning her hands. Her, uh, I don't know, one of her handmaids coming in. I think it's eerie. Eerie or Jiqui, mm-hmm. right? Coming in, and then uh, her hands do get burned when she tries to take the egg away. And then Daenerys turns her hands over, and we see the the scaled sort of scars from mm-hmm. holding the egg. So a lot of sort of emphasis on hands and who who's holding what. Yeah. I also think uh, heat. You mentioned that that with uh, in Ned's chambers, we see this mosquito net, which sort of suggests the heat and fever, and, and mm-hmm. that one that he's you know he might have some sort of infection from his from his leg wound, but also that um, as a Northman, he's he's not doing well in the heat. It's going to it's going to get to him, and he starts getting sweatier and sweatier and looking mm-hmm. more and more green. Um, but in Essos, in Daenerys's tent, the way that the eggs are shot when she's holding them is through heat and smoke, mm-hmm. and so they, they're moving a little bit. Or it looks like they're moving, yeah. right? Which is suggesting, like, maybe they're not as fossilized as we once thought. Right. Um, but there's just... Uh, it's further evidence that, you know, she's fire, right? She's yeah. a woman of heat, and so it doesn't bother her. But then Ned, who is... Heat for him is, is death and fever, and, yeah. and eventually it's going to kill him. And also these objects, right? These objects just sort of lend themselves the power, right? They lend the the owner of them the power. Ned has a badge, and he's very suspicious of it, right? Mm-hmm. He gave it away once. He's being given it again. Mm-hmm. It's not this badge that you could say that he earned it, but not in the same way that sort of Daenerys is going to like eventually earn her dragons, right? And you know, him Ned being the hand really ends up being what gets him killed. Um, as it tends to go with a lot of hands. Um, and Daenerys, on the other hand, we haven't, I guess we haven't seen if she sort of makes it with the dragons. She has to do her, her sort of assault, but she certainly seemed to be doing pretty well as far as the dragons are concerned. And they're, they're definitely being a force for her um, asserting her power as opposed to sort of like being her undoing to right. a certain degree. Right. But maybe they will undo, undo her eventually. We'll have to see. But uh, as far as the action going on in these kind of the the realm of these episodes here um, certainly seems like that's the no, case. She's coming into her own yeah. while Ned going and becoming the hand means the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I again, I have a decent amount of shots in Tyrion's sky cells here. Um, some of them have that kind of green screened background. I actually think the one where we first see him and he's sleeping and he rolls towards the edge, I think that one is quite effective. That was good. Yeah. Um, you really get the sense of, of the height of the place and sort of the danger of the sky cells uh, in a way that was sort of only implied in the last one. Also that he's uh, you know, unconscious, essentially like rolling and almost falling off is uh, very uh, precarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the other ones when uh, Mord comes in. Uh, we had these canted angles, where with this sort of uh, we're outside the entire cell, so we can sort of see the the edge of of the cliff, and then they kind of end up getting uh, scrunched into a corner as as Tyrion's kind of like hiding away from Mord, and uh, the entire screen is tilted, hmm. almost like this is really unbalanced. Like this is on the verge of sort of like being able to tip over. And then even Tyrion's shot where he goes and bangs on the door, 
um, he's very squished. They, they essentially have out of focus the entire right side, and I would say basically two-thirds of, the, of the, the screen is covered in this stone, and then Tyrion is sort of like in the last third on the left, banging on the door trying to get out, so it feels very contained, very sort of claustrophobic, even though obviously there's this giant window, more or less, uh, into the void. Right. Um, so yeah, I felt like they really, in uh, Minahan here, really sort of captures the the danger of the sky cells um, as Tyrion is sort of being having to spend more time in there, mm-hmm. kind of in and out a couple times here. Do we want to stay in the Eyrie for the trial, or do we want to uh, go chronologically? We can stay in the Eyrie. Okay. Let's let's look at this one. Um, I, what do you? What else do you have for? Well, there me? was something about that I that I noticed, and it and it is continued um, in in King's Landing as well. But mm-hmm. uh, during uh, Tyrion's trial, I noticed that um, Liza and and uh, Robin are wearing the exact same outfit. Okay. Um, which seems, um, one, I mean, that I mentioned that the Eerie has a particular style, so that makes mm-hmm. sense. Every city has its, or every um, every area in, in the world has a has a particular look, but it seemed um, pretty typical or mm-hmm. just, or uh, understandable that Liza would dress her son to, to look exactly like her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that seems like one of those creepy mother-son things that she would um, absolutely... Yeah, yes, that she would absolutely be a part of. And so at first I was like, oh, those look very similar. And then I was mm-hmm. like, oh no, that's the exact same outfit and cut. And so um, I thought that that was a... Um, just a, another illustration of their deeply unhealthy relationship. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, you know, the the battle scene that ensues between Bronn, who volunteers as mm-hmm. champion, uh, worth noting that Tyrion's confession is hilarious. <laughs> right. <laughs> Basically tricks everybody into uh, letting him into the, the chambers there um, to, have, to have a word. But the actual battle itself, again, we have all these sort of aesthetics of the eerie going on at play. We have sort of the wind blowing around, very, a lot of echoes. Um, we get extra sense of the height uh, in terms of Bronn and the, the Knight of the Veil that he's fighting, sort of going up these uh, circular steps, which sort of spiraling even further upward. Um, and we also, of course, get to see sort of Bronn's fighting tactics very quick, very sort of like letting this knight with all this armor sort of wear himself out mm-hmm. and he chooses to strike uh, where he can using a couple of dirty tricks um, that are totally game, though. Pushing other people in the way, yeah. throwing a candelabra, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, finally the... Really, I I found Braun murdering the knight at the end to be one of the most brutal scenes we've had so far in the episode. Like, yeah. Or, or in the season. Um the only thing that comes close, I feel like, is uh, some of the other stuff on the lists. Mm-hmm. Sir Hugh of the Veil, vale, also another Knight of the Veil, vale, getting murdered in a very brutal way. Um, and perhaps also then the, the mountain also uh, slaying his horse. Yeah, that's um, pretty gross. But those two are really sort of the most brutal on-screen things that we've seen so far, uh, where we don't kind of flinch away. Um so it is pretty ruthless. <laughs> right. And it seems so unnecessary, right? Mm-hmm. That Bronn doesn't even know Tyrion. And certainly neither of the whole concept of uh, trial by combat. And if you could choose a champion, you have two people who have n- no stake in, in it one way or right. the other. And th- this person's going to die just because that's how the, the, the trial works. 
And in fact, the the knight of the Vale who was called was not a volunteer, right? <laughs> Lysa sort of pushes him into it, and they, they talk about it a little bit more in the books as sort of like reasonings why perhaps, you know, he, he wasn't sort of stepping to the forefront or things he was hesitant about. It was basically a, a bad choice on Lysa's part. Like, she should have gone with one of these other knights who was volunteering, and maybe they would have... Uh, been been more up to the task um but the you know you mentioned the fashion in the veil to a certain degree we don't see too many characters but we do see a few um and i think the the armor i think it's a really cool thing about the show how they'll have different areas even ones that feel like there's sort of a medieval-ish thing going on here Mm -hmm. um but they all have their own style and the Knights of the Vale have their own sort of style going on. And it's all very bird-like, which is, feels very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one knight who's got kind of like a chainmail uh, head thing on, whatever you want to call that. And it sort of flattens his whole face down and makes him, again, very sort of like bird-like head yeah. that you would have this kind of shape of this this uh, chainmail kind of like making a very sort of bird head form. Um, and then the knight who actually does the uh the duel has these kind of beak-like points all over his uh armor and various uh, his chest plate and his shoulder plates and all this kind of stuff um so you really have this this sort of very characteristic look that you don't see elsewhere and i guess even sir hugh had something like that right he had sort of a very almost beakish kind of helm going on yeah yeah well, and they make a big deal about where Sir Hugh got his armor because mm-hmm. he was a, he was a squire, and how did he afford to get it? So it's I think that the the fact that he has a um, recognizable set of armor makes sense mm-hmm. that it's that he's being someone paid him to do what he did. And the fact that they're all you know the, the sigils are these kind of birds, or at least the errands are. I don't remember all the sigils of the the Vale Lords. Mm-hmm. I know they have different ones, but everybody sort of has this kind of bird like look about them. And it makes them feel then also very fragile, like that we see them getting broken and sort of destroyed in all these kind of ways and murdered. And uh, you feel like these kind of like, oh, this is like a little bird. And it's like just on, and you know, Robin as well, who is just called Lord Robert in the in the books here. They've kind of called him Robin, purposefully very bird-like name. And that sort of sticks as well. And it's like, oh, you know, don't don't touch him. He's, he'll, uh, he's very fragile. He'll break, yeah. yeah. Um, so that definitely gets reinforced there. Do you have anything else in the earring? Because I'd be ready to move. Let's go. To, uh, how about over to Essos? Sure. Um, a couple cool scenes here. Um, first of all, we've got a, a series of confrontations involving Viserys and uh, Mormont. Mm-hmm. Um, both of which involve Viserys bearing, uh, bearing steel. Um and Jorah sort of like expressing sort of displeasure at this. And the one hand, uh, this is after we've had the heart-eating scene where uh, Rago has been sort of announced to the world mm-hmm. and uh, claims have been made about his prospects going forward. Um, Viserys sees that Daenerys is very loved, and he is not. Um, and again, maybe speaking to a little bit of uh, the symbols of like who's earned what in terms of like uh, and where they kind of trying to draw power from. So the items that uh, Viserys tries to have run, he tries to snag the eggs. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to essentially take that power for himself uh, to buy him more things. And he ends up all these got left in his hand as a sword. 
which is illegal in the the town where they are uh, in Vesdothrax, or this holy city. Um, and so those confrontations don't don't end up going too well. And also, even with a sword, Jorah talks him down because he knows that he would beat him, you know, mm-hmm. in a fight. Um, so he, he ends up leaving the eggs. And then later on, we have the confrontation in the tent with Khal Drogo that ends up in in the Golden Crown. Um, and he you know bears his steel in that sort of environment. And it's really the last time that we get to see um, crazed eyes. Viserys, which is really one of my favorite looks of the of the show, um, and so I was sort of sad in some ways uh, that I feel like some of the cruel characters that come about later don't have this kind of flair to them. They don't have this kind of like uh, they're not as fun to watch. Viserys, for all of his horribleness, is a very entertaining character to watch. And he does relatively little damage mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel you can you can sort of hate him, but um, but also enjoy him because he's not hurting anyone so much. He yeah. mostly just embarrasses himself. Right. It's not the same as as a Joffrey or a or a Ramsay Ramsay mm-hmm. Snow. Yeah, he's 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 ba- he's almost powerless. Yeah. Uh, he's pretty close to it anyway. He's got a little bit of power over Daenerys for a while, but even in these these two episodes here, Daenerys fights back which is why he's flailing right mm-hmm. because he's lost the one person that he felt control over yeah and he doesn't have control over jorah either right mm-hmm. he thought that jorah was sort of his servant but jorah's changed sides more or less yeah. so yeah and then we see him lose all of his his nice hair <laughs> <laughs> and actually if we're going to talk about cg i think it's pretty good yeah i think so too i'd be i would love to see what the what just the raw footage looks like because mm-hmm. i'm just like what what did they do what what was po- so um yeah if i hope someday i'll get it to see that yeah i think there's something to be said that like molten metal kind of looks unreal anyway like it's tough to make molten metal look real when real molten metal is so kind of otherworldly seeming yeah yeah. Um, so that maybe has that going for it as well and be like, okay, this kind of looks a little faked, but also what they're doing is so weird. And Well, also, hopefully all of us have no concept what it would look <laughs> like in real life. There's something oh, like, I, you know I what? have seen I've mountains, seen I have seen sky, right? But I have never seen anyone have a, uh, a pot of molten gold poured on their heads and have it immediately uh, hardened. It's so unrealistic. <laughs> you know, the way the steam, it's just, no, that's not the way it happens. Yeah, yeah. Speak from experience oh here. Um, and then he, cl- you know, the clank when he sort of hits the ground at the end. Um, yeah. So I I end up being a little sad to see Viserys go after, the, I think maybe seasons in, um, I feel a little sad to see him go this early. Um, I did feel that way at the time. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was like, finally, this guy is going to get it. Um and uh you know even though say what you will those uh that belt melts real fast yes <laughs> on, on, like, on that cook fire <laughs> yeah but there was no time to wait around yeah. he needed a he needed a golden crown how hot was that soup <laughs> that's what i'm asking <laughs> like I don't think they've got warning labels on things in uh, Vase Dothrak but they probably should you like you can't bear steel but you can serve boiling soup mm-hmm. apparently so you know, everybody's got their battles. Right. And um, with with Viserys' death, Daenerys realizes that 
that he was not the dragon, that she is the dragon, right? Mm. That that um, if he could die from from heat, then that means that he wasn't he really wasn't right. I mean, he wasn't a great bu- brother anyway. No, but he was, <laughs> but he also wouldn't have been a, the leader, he right? He wasn't the right king. Um, and and that she's starting to understand what her own power might mm-hmm. be. Um, so I don't know what you have left. I've got just two more scenes left. Sure. Uh, go for yours, and then I'll I'll do mine. Okay. Um, they're both backlit, sort of sunsetty scenes. Um. One is with Sansa and Joffrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we come in and we've got another sort of... This is a very kind of Renaissance-looking thing. We've got sort of a triple archway framed, sort of centered in frame. And Sansa and her septa sort of in the middle uh, doing s- sewing, I think. Um, and sort of uh, some fancy uh, Baroque-looking chairs and tables sort of off to the side. Hanging gardens all about. It's a little bit sort of... Uh, Mediterranean, perhaps, mm-hmm. in, in look to it. I, I do think that they shot this in Malta, maybe. Or it, this might have been on a set. I'm not sure. Um, and that this is all happening in sunset, it feels like these are Sansa's last hours, really. <laughs> like, Sansa's happy prince princess time is about to come to an end. And this is sort of the last moment, sort of the last tinge of light even though she's being a real asshole to Receptor. <laughs> um, yeah i remember that everyone hated sansa and mm-hmm. i was one of those people and later you come to to you know appreciate her and really feel for her yeah. and feel like but in this first season man she has that tully making bad decisions just being a little brat yeah and it's it's all and it's also a little you know i think that's an interesting parallel also just thinking of this with uh with Bran and doing the writing and sort of getting attacked mm-hmm. in the way that the wildlings react to Bran, sort of like seeing all of his nice stuff that he has. Like he's uh, he's got broken legs, but look, he's still riding a horse. He's still got all this fancy stuff. Like, you know, and there's got to be a certain amount of sort of like, wh- why? Do, what have you done to earn all of this, right? right? right. And we, we see all these kind of like rich privilege moments and, we see that with Bran, and then we certainly see, and, and also then their relationship with Theon, right, as well, and sort of that he's more or less their servant and their their bodyguard. Um, and then here with Sansa, who's, you know, betrothed to the prince, um, sewing, she's upset that uh, her dad's going to make her leave, and her septa's trying to be nice and sort of relate things to her and sort of keep her on task, and she's having none of it. She's just bratty, rich mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. Um, asking if her septa has hair or she says um, I don't even know if you're from the north or the south and then the septa starts to tell her and she goes oh I just realized I don't care (laughs) (laughs) you just want to shake her and say like hold on to the ones you love it's about to get much worse (laughs) yeah she's such she's so pouty and I I like that they're able to sort of like bring that angle in on some of the Stark characters where even essentially the family that is supposed to be our 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 hero set is not uh not always the most virtuous no i also um in that scene when when joffrey comes in he is wearing an outfit that robert has worn mm-hmm. so, and he's wearing it's it's brown and it has the sort of gold or bronze um shoulder pad shoulder things. pad things that are that are uh, metal and so i was interested that this is you know he's still sh- there's so far it's not uh, 
common knowledge or the, the whispers of that of that that Joffrey is not Robert's son mm-hmm. haven't really started. And so it was interesting to see in the same way that that Robin and Lysa were dressed the same, Joffrey is trying to dress like Robert, mm-hmm. and then he's also gives um, Sansa a necklace that's like his mother's, right? Mm-hmm. And so that there's this. Um, with with parentage and, and the house is being so important that who they're trying to emulate emulate I think in the second season Joffrey um, wears mostly reds to to show that you know he's actually a Lannister he's in fact all Lannister right, right definitely um, which which Ned finds out at the end here or right. he, he he's very I I think we could say that he finds out I think he knows he's, he's uh, definitely put those pieces together. Um, and then uh, earlier we have a, a Robert hunting scene. And the picture I took of this shot was actually towards the end of the scene once Robert and Renly have left. And it's just Lancel and Sir Barristan um, left. And Lancel has just given Robert more of this wine, um, which Robert wants. It's not like Lancel is necessarily forcing it on him or anything, but he's definitely sort of like, oh, more wine, Your Grace? Mm-hmm. And, then, you know, he, he takes it willingly. And uh, Barristan actually is kind of like looking behind and he's got this look about him with his posture that's kind of like, he's kind of back in his posture and he's just sort of very like, what's, what, you know, he's got this kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm seeing what's going on here. Something's, something just feels a little off is mm-hmm. what, he, the, kind of the look that he seems to have, um, which he does seem somewhat amused by Robert earlier, earlier in the scene as we're, they're trying to trudging through. Robert's talking about what he calls making the eight, <laughs> uh, sleeping with uh, uh, a lady from each of the, the kingdoms. And I guess King, was King's Landing the other one? No, I think in the Riverlands. The Riverlands? Oh, they're yeah. kind of the Riverlands. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so uh, this is also a, a backlit scene for the most part. We have a, a couple shots sort of trudging through with them, um, but we keep coming back to this very intensely backlit sort of sunset scene um, with uh, essentially silhouetting the characters. Uh, so in, in the shot that I have, Sir Barristan's kind of like amongst the trees a bit, Lancel a bit more out in this open thing, kind of like with his wine uh, cask. Um, or flask rather, mm-hmm. um, out outstretched, so we can sort of see the the traits of that character. And it makes me think of like how you know they say like a a good cartoon character is one that you could sort of like tell by silhouette. And so like seeing these silhouettes is like extremely distinct uh, right. between between the characters here, uh, really sort of revealing. And again, another sunsetting thing, another sort of this is the end. This mm-hmm. is the end for Robert. This is the last time we see him before he's on his deathbed. And I did. And in the beginning, when when Ned wakes up and and they're having the fight about who should apologize and mm-hmm. that 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 Cat needs to return Tyrion and um, Robert says, "We'll talk about it when I get back." Right. And that is the the <laughs> third time in six episodes yeah. that someone has said, "We'll talk about it when I get back," and that conversation never happened. Have these characters not seen screen? Like, <laughs> you should never say anything yeah. like that. Um, uh, I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So it's just um, it's a well that they have gone back to a lot in this first six episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this like cryptic. We'll talk about it when I return. Yeah. Somebody's got to pick up on that at some point. Be like, no, just stay. Just Tell me wait. right now. I got time. Just... <laughs> I'll make the time. I cancel my appointments, please. <laughs> Whatever information you have, <laughs> tell me right now. Um. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know, I th- I think that's what I have in terms of shots. I have some other things. I don't know if you have anything about. Uh, Ned sort of in the throne room conducting business. Yeah, there was um not not a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. you can you can start to see that Littlefinger is is pushing him in ways that 
that maybe Ned wouldn't naturally go. Mm-hmm. But you also see that when when Ned does decide to send Beric Dondarrion and some other men after the mountain and to also ca- call Tywin um, into King's Landing to, to answer for the mountain's mm-hmm. crimes, you see um, Littlefinger's face, which is like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. That he that that he um, I think is shocked at what a what a stupid and provocative move that is, and that even though I think it's probably going better than he ever could imagine, because that's a really stupid thing for yeah. Ned to do to to really to bring the most competent Lannister into King's Landing, mm-hmm. um, and to fight one of the most da- you know the mountain is the most da- one of the most dangerous men mm-hmm. in in Westeros. So, what do you th- what do you think of Littlefinger's motivations here? Because this is this was a, a bit of writing that I really noticed. I know we have uh, another co-writer on this episode, but beside the WB, mm-hmm. um, and I I didn't know if this felt like where some of this stuff was coming from. Because there are some really nice bits of kind of like outside of the book writing here. Um, some of Tyrion's confessions at the in the Eyrie. Yeah. Really kind of funny binding stuff. I know he does some of that stuff in the books, but there's some originals in here as well. Um, and then here we've got Littlefinger, who <laughs> when they throw the... Um, if, if Bran's lesson was a little nail on the head kind of thing, um, when they pour the fish out on the on the floor, Littlefinger says, "Isn't that your wife's sigil?" <laughs> Which, of course, he knows. He's been right. in love with Cat since he was a a kid. And Ned doesn't like. Re- maybe this is just Ned. Ned doesn't return a look that's like, "Yeah, no shit." <laughs> um, but he kind of goes on, and Littlefinger says uh, like two or three more lines that are blatantly obvious to things in Ned. They are maybe a little bit expositionally explain things for the audience but i think they're meant to needle ned yeah um because he's like can you think of a reason why the lannisters would be upset with your wife it's mm-hmm. like yes yes we all know because <laughs> she has captured T- Tyrion. Right. um so yeah, that's what I, I i sort of felt like he is trying to provoke ned into doing something stupid mm-hmm. and i think he i think he succeeds right and i think he is even surprised by how successful he is because ned does something pretty drastic right yeah it's it, it's so like I mean, granted, he's, like, whispering, right? And that's mm-hmm. also kind of annoying, right? It's like, to have somebody whisper something that's, like, totally obvious, because it, it's essentially saying, like, I think you're stupid, <laughs> right? I need to tell you this, and, like, let's, I'm going to ask you these really obvious questions. And so, you know, I, you wonder if, like, it's also provoking Ned to, like, think of something to, like, prove himself against Littlefinger and be like, I'm not the dumbass you think I am. Here, I've got a big plan that I'm going to enact here. I'm big and strong. Take your little snide comments elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, but Ned, <laughs> you're not gonna, you're not gonna outthink uh, Littlefinger. So mm-hmm. we have a, we have both a different mountain and a different Beric Dondarrion. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. they'll get replaced by uh, better looking actors. Yeah, um, and I think I definitely like the the Dondarrion recast. I think the mountain gets cast a couple. I think we see three different yeah. mountains at some point i think this uh first mountain did a pretty good job uh with the full armor and stuff i liked the the the, the dark like black armor that they gave him was really menacing he's the the dark you know the right. the black knight versus the white knight mm-hmm. sort of thing in, in terms of the and he has a beautiful and huge horse whom mm-hmm. he cuts the head off which is very right. sad yeah but um but yeah. apparently he did it again <laughs> he oh. cut the head off some other horse <laughs> in the riverlands <laughs> yeah he's got a thing for that now i guess yeah that 
that was maybe a little bit like, remember that guy who cut off the yeah. horse's head? We're also talking about that guy. So there are some things that... that, that some of the dialogue in that one was like, okay, I, I kind of get it, but maybe this is a little redundant. Yeah. Like, I And in sort of the same vein, I thought that the uh, wildlings that come down, they look a little cartoonish. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of look, they remind me of like, Dickensian and street urchins mm. um and when you when we meet other ones with like like egret and mance raider they're they're definitely they're wearing furs and they don't look they're they're not dressed in the same finery but they at least their clothes look they make sense right yeah. they're, they're well made they make sense for the weather and it feels like osha and her band um just they look sort of r- ridiculous yeah. um and so i think they toned down but i guess it makes sense because if if um before we get to meet the wildlings they're this sort of unknown evil, these barbarians, these wild people who knows mm-hmm. what they're like. And then once we get to know them better, they're just people on the wrong side of yeah. the wall. Yeah. I think that's just another, I think that's probably another thing where they like, they hadn't sort of established the wilding wardrobe as yet, right? Because we don't really meet them till next season. Because right. that's the, the Night's Watch cliffhanger is that they're going to go out. And that's, I think that's where that ends. Yeah. But I did notice that they, uh, they look particularly uh, just Grubby. sneaky and gr- yeah, and and um, I guess that more maybe more like the hill tribes that we'll meet very mm-hmm. soon, um, who are you know wearing ear necklaces and, and, and things like that. Okay. Um, oh, there's one just one more transition I forgot to mention. <laughs> we have Arya training, and then we have a cut to Daenerys with Daenerys with the heart. I just thought it was a, a nice bit of like them both uh, going about a bit of like resilience, mm-hmm. like stick-to-itiveness and that's sort of like they're going to be overcoming this this challenges that are before them sort of cut to cut uh shot to shot there yeah. nice parallel anyway yeah we have so much that we want to talk about um also i said that we would do this last uh last episode so the musician that comes yes. with cat and into the eerie his name is marillion mm. and then um daenerys's servant who also has sex with viserys in the tub is uh dorea yeah. And so I'll never forget again. And I will use their names probably at least once an episode. Yeah. At least Aurea. I don't know that mm-hmm. we see that much more of Marillion. All right. And I, get, I think that's going to pretty much bring us to a close here. Yeah. We are we did a little better on time. We're still, <laughs> we're still over an hour. But, uh, less over an hour. So we'll, we'll keep working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in again. And if, again, if you're uh, coming to us for the first time here, we do have our podcast up in a few places. Um, you can find us on the actual podcast hosted page. Um, just do a Google search for the Mummers Farce podcast, and you should find have some luck there. Um, we're also on iTunes and Google Play, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, again, our uh, we, we have it as the Mummers Farce on there, but the actual handle is Mummers Farce Pod. Um, if you want to send any emails, we didn't we didn't have any email responses, but maybe someday we will. Um, it is the the Mummers Farce Podcast at gmail.com is a uh, full name of our our email address where you can where you can reach out to us there. Got any comments, corrections, or uh, questions? Concerns. Feel free to send it. Very there's some very concerning things going on. <laughs> um, and our next episode, we'll try to be more regular about doing uh friday or thursday i think we said we were going to do it thursday i published it on friday um i don't know one of the two days uh it'll it'll be out thursday or friday and uh we're going to do the next two episodes which are two more directed by daniel minahan so they're sure to be good they're sure to be good i'm, I'm looking forward to it um it's going to be uh, you win or you die good line and the pointy end another good line yeah 
All right. I'm, I'm excited. Okay. So tune in uh, next week, and we'll see you then. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Kate. Bye.